Hey, what is going on, everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student. I'm here once again with my good friend, Martin. What's up, dude? Yo.com. What's up? We are standing today. Yeah. And you know, I just realized we are standing. I need to call you up on the Skype cool. right here. Oh, yeah. Time where's for our weird three Where's your, Skype, where's your Skype on here? I need to set you as a favorite. I don't know. I'm like bugged in. I'm add, not your favorites already. Add to favorites. Well, you're, you're always a favorite in my book. It's not on Skype. Ouch. I don't even I'm know. sorry, bro. I don't even know how to set that up. I'm bad at Skype. Well. Well. You, you call and you then mute. you mute the microphone. You're not mute. And then I move the monitor. This new computer setup is freaking baller. I didn't think the monitor arms would... I thought they would be useful, but I was almost a little bit thinking that they were just a little bit aesthetic and and frivolous. Yeah. But no, they're actually quite useful. So... I'm pretty jealous right now. Yeah. I'm going to have this desk tomorrow. Yeah. This is your, this is your hashtag goals. Hashtag yeah. setup goals. Yeah. We're going to do a five questions today. But Martin, I got to tell you about the spider first. I do like spiders. Because I just caught a spider. I have this um, little policy of not killing spiders. And I'm not I'm not sure why. They're because cool. Because I kill like flies and things like that. Flies, but spiders are cool. Yeah, but flies suck and spiders are cool. So we, we have all these little jumping spiders in the house. And I try to take them outside. And I took one out in the garage. And I just kind of threw it at a little cup that I caught it in. And it landed in another, another spider's web. Yeah. And that got me thinking, if a spider lands in another spider's web, what happens? Does it get eaten? Can it just yeah, get out? Nothing good. Cora uh, says, generally speaking, if a spider lands in another spider's web, that spider is toast. So pour 40 out for that spider. Yep. I'm sorry. Rest in peace. <laughs> Rest in peace. Unless you happen to get out. Request Captain Pache. He is. There we go. Which nice. is, I hope is also Italian for spider. I don't know. Aranya is it's, Spanish for yeah, spider. Spanish for spider. So it's probably close. Let's find out. It's probably close. Italian. Italian word. If I just say Spanish spider. in an Italian accent, is that good enough? It is. It, oh, is it Rockno? Oh, no. It's significantly different. It is quite it's, different. It's really close in French, too. So I was just hoping. Oh. You know, you roll the dice. Sometimes you don't get what you want. Well, maybe. That's life. Maybe the Italians were sitting around one time and they were thinking to themselves, you know what? Those Spaniards keep stealing also, our words, to be fair, it might but they're be not pronounced. stealing spider. We're changing it. I don't know that that's not pronounced Rano, which would be close, Arano? but not exactly the same. Oh, it, it very much could GN be. GN is similar to French for them. I don't know. I bet you it is. I don't know, man. I bet it is, but. Rano sounds like Aranya. Yeah, see, it's close, but not enough for me to just guess it. Okay. Anyway, continuing on with my yeah. story. So I'm basically like. You know, I'm sorry, Spider. He's probably toast. And this person on Quora mentioned that there is a type of spider called the Portia spider that catches other spiders by building a web that attaches to their web. So the other spider thinks it's still in its own web when it's crawling through. Wait, so like it's it's like a next door neighbor who built too close and you yeah. accidentally walk into their house and they're like, gotcha, get out of my house. And then they kill you. I'm going to eat you. Yep, pretty much. Oh, no. And they, they apparently like look like a leaf somewhat, I guess. And I they mimic that looking look like, like a leaf. That's awesome. So this is like the smartest spider ever or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, where do they live? Can I catch one? 
where do they, they live in, if they look like leaves, I want a picture. Middle and Southern Africa, Madagascar, China, and uh, Southeast Asia, and Northern Australia. Did you say Iowa? No. Was that in the list? Nope. Uh, you know, if you want to hang out with some cool Iowa spiders, we got brown recluses and we have black widows. I didn't say I want to die. I don't die. recommend hanging out with any of those. I don't want to die. I just want it to be cool. I wonder if these ones you know? are particularly venomous or not. I don't it know. doesn't really say they are. Maybe they're just cool. I think they're just... I mean, if they're, if they've adapted to like trick other spiders, I don't know that they've adapted to kill me necessarily. That's true. That's a very different mission. It was saying that their favorite prey appears to be web-building spiders between 10% and 200% of their own size. So they'll go after double the size spiders. Nice. I also like, uh, you know, like in those spy movies where the spy will drop from the ceiling silently on a, on a rope or something? Yeah. Apparently this spider does that like behind its prey and then will just jump on their back. Oh, that's awesome. So this spider's super cool. Yep. This has been your spider fact of the day. For your, for your spiders. For your spiders. I'm Dr. Yeah. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to get into five different questions, and you guys know what that means. That means we need some stupid celebrity baby names for the, <laughs> for the pseudonyms for whoever asks these questions. I do you have them ready? up. I do. So this first question, guys, comes from Zumanesta Rock Rossdale. I don't think I could spell that, but it's awesome. Well, the people in this blog post, their little comment here is, we got nothing. I don't even know who these people are. Like, there's this blonde lady with red lipstick and this dude wearing a shirt. I don't know. if I don't know. Maybe it's like Gwen Stefani or something. I have no idea. From this angle, maybe, but I can't tell fully, and I don't want to go over there. Who do we blame for this? I don't Uh, know. Yeah, it's Gwen Stefani. Yep. And and Gavin Rossdale, whoever the heck that is. Well. But their baby asks, I use the Pomodoro Technique. And absolutely love it. And for you guys who don't know, the Pomodoro technique is a productivity technique where you set a timer for 25 minutes and then you work on only one thing for 25 minutes. You don't worry about finishing it. You only worry about working diligently for that entire period of time without distraction. Very, very effective technique. And this person says, uh, how do you decide exactly how many Pomodoro sessions a task will take to complete? Do you switch between multiple tasks during Pomodoro section sections, or do you just stick to one thing? So I guess I wanted to tackle this question just so we can kind of put, you know, some ground rules on Pomodoros out there. Now, I do use Pomodoros, but do you is a question. I've used them before, okay. but they're not like a primary part of my workflow. Mm. Now, I think some people use Pomodoros day in, day out for their entire work. And that's cool. I personally use Pomodoros when I'm feeling unmotivated and I'm feeling distracted and I've started to realize that, hey, I've been in this coffee shop for two hours and all I've done so far is trick myself into feeling productive by watching a John Oliver episode and then scroll yeah. through Ask Reddit. Yeah, that's, that's uh, like the same thing for me. Like, I don't <laughs> use them normally, but if I feel particularly unfocused and bad at things, I might use one to get myself going again. Yeah. So I use an app called Toe Mighty. It's T-O-M-I-G-H-T-Y. It is both for Mac and PC. And it's cool. It's free. It's a little taskbar app. So it just kind of hides in your taskbar and you can set it to do a little Pomodoro session. So that's pretty cool. I'll just use it if I'm feeling not very productive and I need to get into the flow of working. And to the other part of this guy's question, uh, he was asking how many 
you know, how many Pomodoro sessions do you think a task will need to be completed? I don't worry about that at all. It's just, I start one Pomodoro and the only purpose of the Pomodoro is to get me into that flow state, to get me into like a nice steady rhythm of working. And once I'm there, it's likely I'm going to finish what I'm doing. Yeah. It's just, I, I need something to get myself started. Well, yeah, I think a lot of the purpose of a Pomodoro session is to kind of be present minded on your work and trying to worry about how much it's going to take you to finish is literally being future minded. It's mm -hmm. the opposite of kind of the point, which is to just get you to shut out those kind of distractions. We don't know how long it'll take. You can't possibly be 100% sure. You just need to work and find out. Yep. Got to be in the present, man. Yeah. And to the other part of the question, do you switch between multiple tasks during the Pomodoro sessions? Generally, no. Maybe if you finished one. Yeah, if you finished one and you are you still have 12 minutes left, hey, move into the next one if you're feeling motivated. But the point of a Pomodoro session is to single-mindedly focus on one specific task. Yeah. So uh, you write down what you're going to do or maybe not write it down, but just kind of mentally commit to it. And one little additional bonus tip for the Pomodoro technique is to have a piece of paper next to you. And this piece of paper is just for writing down things that distract you. So if all of a sudden... During your Pomodoro session, you know, you're going hardcore, you're getting this history homework done, and all of a sudden you realize, I really, really need to know how venomous the Porsche spider is. Yeah. And does the Porsche spider actually look like a Porsche 911? Yeah, and I get that urge all the time. You know, so I connect with as that one example. does, could I drive the Porsche spider? Write that down yeah. on your piece of paper and acknowledge that, number one, I'm going to look that up later, but number two, that is something that distracted me. Now, if you do a lot of Pomodoros and you do this with each one, you can start to get some ideas of what happens to distract you on a regular basis. So the Porsche spider is probably only going to distract you once, but maybe you have this burning urge to play Heli Attack 2 on miniclip.com every single time you're working, or you really just, you really need to check your Pokemon Go stats. Yeah. You know, I've been sitting in this coffee shop for two hours, maybe... The GPS messed up and I've got another extra kilometer on my egg. I got to know, man. I got to know. And then you can start to take actions such as, you know, maybe I'm going to leave my phone off or something. Or maybe I'm going to, you know, set a specific time to play video games later on in the day. So I'm not feeling like I have to get my fix now. Yeah. Because the distractions need to be taken care of. You know, you can't just brute force try to avoid them. So that's that's kind of my way of dealing with the Pomodoro Technique. Hopefully this helped you. Zuma Nesta Rock Rosdale. Yep. <laughs> I'm jealous because I'll never have a good excuse to have such a cool baby name. It'll be like, Martin, you're not a celebrity. Your names need to be pretty normal. Calm down. Oh, all contrary, my friend. What do you think the whole point of this podcast is for? Uh, Why do you think we're doing this at such a young age? Someday you're going to have a baby. We have like, what, like 10 years. So this is just inspiration for baby names? Yeah. All right. Pretty much. Well, okay. also, you know, if, if we keep gonna... doing the podcast, oh, wait, you'll get right. more and more famous. And someday, and then I can you'll justify be it. So uber famous that Beautiful. you can name your kid what Kate Winslet named her kid, which was Bear. No, I'm going to name mine Rick and Morty Baby. That's his name. <laughs> <laughs> Rick and Morty Baby. Yep, just decided. So is it is it Rick or Morty? It's it's Rick dash and dash Morty space Baby. <laughs> just decided. Okay. Well, Rick and Morty baby doesn't exist yet. Yeah. So the next question comes from Bear. Is it, which that's is a, it though? That's a pretty rad name. Is there like a last name? 
Um, is a middle name? Is there... That I just says Bear, know. doesn't it? It just says Bear. And then it has their names in parentheses because, what, there isn't a last name? Huh. I'm really confused. That's kind of cool. It says Kate Winslet and Alicia Silverstone. See, I don't know so maybe anything just, about I don't celebrities. Know these Are these people married? Or, I don't know. or wait, oh, no, 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 they're not married. Kate Winslet it's follows like a, Alicia a, Silverstone's lead and names her baby boy Bear. So there's two celebrities who have both lost their collective minds and named oh, their kid Bear. They're both named Bear, so there isn't a last name because it's two babies. All right, well, we're going to say that Kate's Bear asked this question. That's, uh, <laughs> that's totally arbitrary. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, this question is, I love your motivation equation and I use it to get way more done than I ever have. But how do I deal with longtime friends with way less motivation and ambition and different goals than me? This is an interesting question. Yeah. I'm probably going to make a video on this at some point, but I do have to clear something up really quick. The motivation equation, which is actually called the procrastination equation, is not mine it was actually developed by a procrastination researcher from Canada uh, named Pierre Steele, and he wrote a book called The Procrastination Equation. So if you really want to dig into that more, uh, you can dig into his book. There's also a very good article on a website called Less Wrong, and it's uh, it's written by a guy named Luke Mielhauser, and I, I forget what it's called. I think it's it's something to do with procrastination, and he really goes through The Procrastination Equation. I also went through it in my book, and... Whenever we get our course out, I think that's going to be a pretty heavy focus because I think the procrastination equation is very useful. Just to give you a very quick rundown of what it is real quick. Basically, any given task, like your motivation to complete any given task can be defined by impulsiveness times reward all over, sorry, not impulsiveness, expectancy times reward all over impulsiveness times delay. So expectancy is your confidence that you can achieve whatever you set out to do. The reward is whatever it is you're going to get if you achieve it. So whatever you're working towards. Impulsiveness is the degree of likelihood that you're going to get distracted by something else. And then the delay is how long it's going to take, how long you have to wait before you get it. So as expectancy, as your confidence and as the rewards rise, your motivation rises. And as the impulsiveness and the delay increase, your motivation falls. And this is really useful because you can start to pinpoint specific elements of a task that are either destroying your motivation or keeping it high. So maybe you really don't believe you can do what you're trying to do. Well, you can tackle that by splitting your task into more manageable chunks and identifying what you don't know about and then maybe asking a professor or somebody else to help you on that. Or maybe impulsiveness is your problem. So change your location, turn off your phone, do all these things that build a better environment for focus, these kind of things. But this question is specifically about dealing with friends. Now, I wanted to tackle this question because when I was in high school, I actually struggled with this because I was in a friend group. Uh, you know, all my friends are dear friends, awesome people, loved hanging out with them. But I started to notice that they always make fun of me when I want to go work on, you know, building my websites or something on a weekend, or they always make fun of me when I get salad bar and try to eat healthy and yeah. they just kind of want to play video games a lot. And I started, you know, I, I was reading all these motivational blogs. I was reading all these productivity books, watching all these people on the internet who are motivational speakers or whatever saying, you know, you're uh, the big one. I think Jim Rohn said this, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. 
So an idea like that gets planted in your head and you start to think, huh, maybe I shouldn't be hanging out with these people who are a little bit less ambitious than me, who just kind of want to sit around and play COD all day. Should I ditch my friends? Yeah. I don't know. Have you ever dealt with this? This nagging doubt? I have, uh, I've heard that, but I've never had the urge to like act on it. I was always like, why would I, why would I do that? I'm Mm. not going to pick my friends. I'm not going to like have a designer friend group designed Mm -hmm. to make me more ambitious. Yeah. I like having some ambitious friends, but some of them aren't and that's okay. I'm not going to ditch them. I'm just going to accept that I do non-productive things with them sometimes Mm -hmm. and that's okay. They're not my primary source of influence. Yeah. And I don't think that I ever really had the urge to straight up like go up to my friends and say, you guys aren't as productive as me, so I'm going to not be friends with you anymore. Like that would be the most dickish thing. Yeah, that's like all work and no play anyway. <laughs> yeah. I think my struggle was more like, do I need to really proactively go out and try to find a group of more productive friends right now kind of thing? Like it, you know, an idea like this, when spoken by somebody who's already very successful, like Jim Rohn was, can really get in your head. You start to think, oh, man, maybe he was right. Maybe I really am the average of the five people I spend the most time around. So let me just put it out there. I think that this idea is complete BS. Because... Shots fired. Here's a here's a perfect example. Do you think Nelson Mandela became the average of the five people he spent the most time around when he was in prison? Maybe they were awesome. Were they awesome people? They might have been. I don't know. I didn't hang out with those people. But I think that you are the biggest determine, uh, determining factor in how you turn out. Now, your environment certainly plays a part, but I don't think that you can just straight up say that, you know, the five people I spend the most time around are going to influence me so much that I'm going to turn out bad if I'm hanging the, out with the, people like, who are lazy. Like, stop it. Yeah. Now, what I do believe is that you absolutely need to have people in your life who do motivate you and who do challenge you and who are doing things on their own. They just don't need to be the people you spend all of your time around. They don't need to be your core friends. And you don't need to ditch your core friends just because you find your work values changing and being different from theirs. You simply need to make sure you're spending some time with people who do challenge you. Yeah. And I think the way you do that is very organically. You go join organizations. You join clubs. You show up for events. You basically do things that interest you, do things that challenge you, and you will naturally meet new people through those things. Now, once you meet these people, you have to be proactive in trying to become friends with them. So maybe you've met them at an event, you've met them at a club and you say, hey, let's, you know, go do something this weekend. You know, let's go bowling or go play laser tag or something. Or you, you know, meet everyone for lunch or something. Or you start a mastermind group or a Jedi Council. You know, if you really want to have week on week contact with somebody and both people want to challenge each other and get feedback. You can start to build those kind of relationships. So now you've got relationships that do challenge you. You're working to have regular contact with those people and you're still giving time to your core group of friends who, and like you said in the stress episode, these people represent your comfort zone. This is where you can go to relax and recharge and just have fun and be stupid. And I think we do need that. Yeah. Like life isn't just hustle, hustle, hustle. Even if some people say it is. What are you hustling for? Yeah. Uh, I, something you talk about a lot is, is being present minded. And I just have to remind myself the only time that I will ever experience is right now. And that doesn't mean that I should have 
no goals to change what right now is. Obviously, growing and changing and progressing is very important in life. But I can't forget the fact that right now is all I will ever have. And the way that I choose to enjoy right now and the way I choose to react to the current situation is very important to my overall happiness. So if I have good friends who are maybe a little bit better than I am at experiencing the now for what it is, I think that's also useful. Yeah, that's a good influence just as much as being productive is because if you're super productive, but you're also super stressed constantly and you just hate your life, but you make lots of money, that's awesome, but you never see your kids or something. You know, th maybe there are some lessons you could learn from the less productive anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was reading Neil Postreacher's book, The Happiness Equation, he, he said he talked to all these uh, really successful executives who worked for huge companies, and a lot of them were not happy because ultra hustle and ball and crushing success is not the recipe for happiness. You know, it might be one element of it, but it's not the only yeah, recipe. It, it makes some happiness bringing things convenient. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, I think the one thing you need to do with your current friends, if you find that your level of motivation, your level of drive, and your vision does not correspond with theirs, is you have to make sure that they do not monopolize your time. So, you know, being really realistic here, I know that friends that just kind of like to chill will often be like, hey, just come watch this movie with us. Come play this video games. Come get pizza, whatever. Let yourself do that sometimes, but don't let it cut in too much to the time that you're spending trying to achieve your goals. You have to achieve balance there. It's really just a, I'm going to spend some of my time with you. You know, I'm going to cordon off a little bit of it to relax, but I'm also working on my goals. And while I'm working on my goals, I'm probably going to be interacting with people who are a little more in sync with how I think. Right. Yeah. I didn't mean to rhyme that, but I think there's a rapper inside me. Yeah. Just waiting to come out. Let him out. Mm. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think the only the only time you should consider actually jettisoning uh, jettisoning no jettisoning a friend a is word. if it's a toxic person. So if you've got people in your life, and I'm not going to blanket statement this, like please listen to my caveat here. But if you got people in your life who are negative and they're constantly putting you down, they're telling you like the thing you're trying to do is stupid. You're never going to amount to anything. You know, don't don't be the crab that jumps for the rim, uh, rim of the bucket just hang out here with us and stay where you are and be grateful for it or whatever, or they're just really negative and mean, then maybe you shouldn't have that person in your life. However, don't take too much of a selfish view of relationships because if somebody's negative, sure, maybe they're just a negative person. Don't be around that person. But maybe they're going through something rough in their life. And maybe since you're the positive, motivated, you know, ultra-driven person, maybe you're the person that they need in their life right now to help them through whatever they're going through. Yeah. And if you're just like, oh, I'm sorry, but I'm the average of the five people that I spend time around because you're going through crap right now. You're bringing my average down. So bye. Yeah. I'm going to go hang out with the rock instead. Like, I don't know. I don't maybe, know. maybe they want to be productive. Maybe right now they're in the stage where they're bitter that you're doing something more than them and they're really stressed and overwhelmed mm -hmm. by something. But once they get past that, they'll, they'll like, open up and ask for help or something. You never yeah. know. You can't just assume that people are the worst all the time. I can tell you, I have had friends who have been, you know, unmotivated, dealing with a lot of crap, and I have tried to help them. And as a result, they get their stuff together. Yeah. And, you know, a few years down the line, they're good. I've had other friends who basically do not accept help. They, they don't want it enough that no matter how much I try to help them, they're going to remain where they are. 
Yeah. And okay, that's fine. Here's what happens. You know, we're both 25 now. So we're out of college. People are in their, they're, they're pretty far into their careers now, a few years now. This is what happens naturally. You get out of college, you start to move away from your proximity-based friends because everyone goes their separate directions with their careers. Some people may stay together, some people may not. There's going to be this natural drifting away from certain people and coming in closer with other people. You're going to meet new people. You can obviously invite the people you do know to do things with you, but your interests are going to drift. Not all friendships are built to last forever, but you don't have to actively try to cut them out. Just let the ones that are going to drift, drift. You know? Yeah. Well, and I think it was important the part where you said don't don't take every relationship selfishly, because if you go around just making productive friends because you're like, you're going to benefit me. Awesome. You're not really being their friend. Mm -hmm. You're just stealing their influence. Like, I don't know. That feels like a weird, dishonest way to have friendships. If all you're worried about is what you get out of it, other than just the friendship. Yeah. Have some ambitious friends that inspire you, but it's cool to have some lazy friends. Just don't let them inspire you more than the ambitious friends, if that's what you want. Yeah. And to put it in a personal light, this is this is kind of the solution that I came to with my own friendships and relationships. A lot of my local friends are not like me. They had no desire to be starting their own businesses in college. They just wanted to go to class Maybe some of them did some extra stuff, but I know a lot a lot of them did more leisure stuff than I did myself. And they're like, I'm just going to get a good job and I'm going to have fun. And that's cool. Okay. So I started meeting people through my blog and now I've got friends in states, you know, all over the country. I've got my friend Matt out in Boulder, Colorado. Andrew, my co-host on Listen Money Matters is in, and is in uh, Hoboken, New Jersey. Uh, my friend Zach is in Austin, Texas. All these friends who really motivate me and really challenge me. So I make sure I keep constant contact with those people through Skype, through phone calls, and I go to conferences throughout the year where I get to see them. And that is enough for me to stay motivated. Uh, I also have you. You're like a really driven person. And I feel very fortunate that you I live try. in my house. So that's very nice. That's yeah, pretty convenient. So that gives me balance so that the rest of my friends who are not all like, let's work 12 hours a day and build an empire, I can just go hang out with them. And not have to worry that they're not thinking on the same wavelength that I am. Yeah. So I hope that answers your question, Bear. <laughs> oh, yeah. I totally forgot that this was from Bear. This was from Bear. Good. Uh-huh. This is what I want. Wait, there's more. <laughs> there's actually a person named Blanket. Blanket? Blanket Jackson. Blanket Jackson. <laughs> All right. Cool. cool. Oh, my gosh. I Blanket like Jackson is not actually the name of the youngest child of Michael Jackson. It's Prince Michael Jackson the second. Uh, but there is a blanket. <laughs> you guys are going to love the next one, but you have to wait for the next one. Wow. Spoilers, Tom. <laughs> spoilers. I didn't spoil it. You'll never believe number four. I didn't spoil it, but number four is going to be pretty funny. But blanket Jackson has a burning question for us. Okay. About personal finances. And she says, I just hit my savings goal of 1K this month. Thanks to the Mint app that you recommended. Nice. Ooh. Uh, but I'm not sure how to prioritize my money in terms of things I want to do in the future. I want to travel to Japan uh, and things I want to buy in the future, like an iPad Pro. So essentially, how do you separate your savings for investing and savings for future things you want to buy and places you want to go? So how do we start sectioning off money here for things? Sounds like hmm. a budgeting problem. Yeah, maybe. You do a lot of heavy budgeting right now, don't you? Well, I was. The last couple of weeks, I've kind of stopped 
stop focusing on that simply because I have a lot of other things to focus on. Okay. But I, but I will say I actually have a separate savings account for like saving up for taxes and stuff and then a different one for Colorado and stuff. So I literally have two different accounts where money goes oh, if I want to okay. separate what I'm saving for. I'm saving for responsible things in one and things that I think sound awesome in another, essentially. Yeah. So I guess... And that depends blanket. on your bank. I can't tell you the exact dollar amount you should save per month for the iPad Pro or for travel or for whatever, but... And this is something we talked about on Listen Money Matters recently because we have a guy who he wants to buy a house soon and he wants to have a kid soon. And so he's wondering about, you know, how much do I save for the kid's college fund versus how much do I save for my own retirement and the house? So Blanket's question is like the college version of that iPad Pro in Japan and just regular savings. Yeah. You know, as, as opposed to house and kid and retirement. But it's the same question. How do I prioritize the money I guess the first thing you need to decide is when do you want these things that are coming up and based on how much you make right now, can you develop a realistic saving schedule that will help you take care of that stuff? So, you know, say you're in college right now, maybe you're going to graduate with loans. I can tell you that I traveled to Japan after my junior year and had College Info Geek not become as profitable as it did during college, I would have graduated and I would have had to pay those loans off. But it would have been totally manageable. I would have graduated with 15K. It was all federal debt. That was at 3.8% interest, I believe. It would have been a totally reasonable monthly payment, presuming that I got a decent enough job. And your monthly payments are probably very similar, I'm guessing. Yeah, they're pretty manageable. I mean, you have a little bit more debt from college, but it's all Stafford. Yeah. Or something of that nature. It's all that lower interest rate. So you could calculate, all right, I don't need to save a ton for that debt. If I want to get rid of it right now, sure. But if I have some other goals, I, I have a, a pretty good idea of how much I'm going to make coming out of college. I can handle that. So if that's the case, then you can figure out the dollar amount for your iPad, the dollar amount for Japan, which is probably going to be about 2.5K, give or take. And then you can start to say, all right, I make this much per month. Can I reasonably pay my rent, pay my bills, be saving a little bit to establish an emergency fund? I'm glad you already have 1K. That's good. Can I still put a percentage away for Japan and for the iPad? So you just sit down, you do those percentages. And you, if you wanted to make a more practical saving system that does not make you motivate yourself, you could set up automatic deposits to separate accounts like you do. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you're doing a pause. Are you doing automatic deposits? Uh, No, because it... Well, I'm not doing that part because it depends on when I choose to move the money to my bank. Okay, that's right. Yeah, you know, or when I deposit, whatever. So I can't, I don't want to reliably do that. Yeah. But the separate accounts is really helpful because it means that I've mentally said this money is for Colorado and stuff that I think is cool. I won't feel guilty about using it for things that I think are cool because this is the responsible savings over here for taxes. Mm -hmm. And that won't be fun but I'm not going to let responsibility leak into all of my money. Some of it is for fun. Yeah. And I can tell you how I budget my money because there's actually a budgeting guide on College Info Geek. Let me see Ooh. if I can find the URL real quick. Um, yeah, collegeinfogeek.com. And every time I read these URLs out, you know you're going to be able to find them in the show notes, and that's probably an easier way to do this. But it's uh, collegeinfogeek.com slash budgeting dash four dash college dash students. 
Um, it'll be in the, in the guide though. Yeah. And you know what, actually for this one, what happens if I go to slash budgeting? Does it work? It does. Okay. So you can go to collegeofbigadime.com slash budgeting. Thanks WordPress. To read this guide. And this guide has an audio narration if you would like to listen to it as well. Um, I don't really try to section off savings things for myself. And this is just personal. But what I do is instead I try to kind of fill the buckets that need to be filled. So when the money comes in, it flows to the right places first. It flows to expenses. And if I had debt, it would immediately flow to debt minimums. And then it would flow to filling my checking account up to between two and a half to three times my monthly expenses. And I think this is a really good thing for anyone to be shooting for. Now, when you're in college, you might literally not ever make enough to have three months worth of expenses in your checking account. That's fine. This is just an ideal, but I really think it's a good idea to work up to having three months worth of your expenses in your checking account. That way you can take a punch. If something happens, if you got to, you know, buy new tires for your car or whatever, you know, you got to go get your name changed because somebody named you blanket. You yeah. have the money in the account to do that. And I think it's also worthy, uh, worthy to have an emergency fund somewhere else just in case something, you know, something really hits the fan. My friend Andrew has advocated keeping that money in Betterment because Betterment is a pretty safe way of investing money, but it still grows a little bit. I think you got to think about your risk tolerance there. You could have it in Betterment. You could have it in just another account somewhere. And then I, I like to get rid of debt fast, but if you've got some things you really want to do, for some people, it's saving for a house. For other people, it's saving for an iPad Pro and a Japan trip. Just create new buckets, but make sure you're filling those expense ones and trying to keep those checking accounts nicely filled up. And from there, you can establish safe percentages to save for your fun things. And you can base those percentages off of the time goals at which you want to buy the things. And I guess you got to ask yourself, you know, you know, why do I want the thing? How early do I need it? Is this iPad Pro critical for my work? Or... Do I just want it because big screen equals better screen? I don't know. Yeah. Then again, once I once I've talked myself into buying some tech thing, it's probably gonna be pretty hard to talk me out of it. It's like so. Inception. It's it trapped <laughs> in your brain. You can't get rid of it. Yeah, exactly. I got an itch for that technology. Mm-hmm. But I just I try to hit my goals first. So right now I have made the strategic decision to invest more money in my business instead of my uh, investments. So whereas before I was trying to put around 2k per month into investments, I have cordoned off a bunch of that money to paying Anna and to paying you and to paying ransom to write articles because I, I believe think that was a great decision. I think so because it lets you work for me, which is cool. But also I think the, I think you working on the business is going to provide more than a 7% return, which is what I will realistically get. I, I hope so. in the market. <laughs> I mean, if you help me build a course yeah, that doubles the sales gonna, gonna be better than per month, that's a hundred percent return on investment month over month. That is clearly better than being like, nah, I think I just got to keep shoving money into Vanguard, you know? Yeah. And you really got to be able to make those decisions because mm -hmm. if you want to go to Japan and get an iPad pro fast, you want to enjoy your early twenties or something, but it might take you slightly longer to pay off your debt, but you don't have to just pay it down immediately. If you're okay yeah. spending the minimum and be like, okay, the interest for like two months that I'm going to have to pay extra because I didn't pay it off early because I wanted to go to Japan is worth it. I mm -hmm. don't care. That's totally fine because yeah. 
you know, time. Time is important. I decided that an international experience was worth it for me. Yeah. So don't put off everything. And I'll tell you, that's gone. The summer I went to Japan, I, I spent like nearly all the money I had that summer. I think I, I had started the summer out with like six or seven thousand dollars saved up over the course of jobs and internships from the previous summer and all that. And I want to say I ended the summer at like one and a half thousand. Yeah. Just because Japan happened and California happened and there were some business trips, but they were worth it. It's important not to say I'm not allowed to have any experiences until my dad is gone. I'm going to hate the next 10, 20 years of my life. Yeah. That sucks. You can spend some now as long as you're responsible. There are people out there who think debt is evil. And as is my MO and yours as well, I think. I'm ever the moderate about this kind of thing. Debt is a way to create value now where you can't without help. It's a way to shift value from one concentrated pocket of society to another where that can hopefully do better. Yeah. So that money is not doing very well sitting in a bank doing literally nothing. It would be better invested helping you pay for a college education, right? Now, I think debt becomes quote unquote evil when it is so crippling to pay it back that you are now having to compromise a a lot of your life or if you're spending way too many years paying it back or if you're not getting a big return for that debt. Say you went to a school that costs four times more than another school, but you don't get a four times higher return, which is very likely for most schools that cost four times more. I would say, you know, you graduate from a private university costs you 50K a year versus a public university costs you 10K a year. Are you really going to make $500,000 at getting a job after that one versus $100,000 getting a job from the public one? Probably not. Yeah. You're probably going to make, You, I mean, realistically, you're probably going to make the same. But if anything, you might make like, what, 5K more or something. So at that point, was it worth it? But debt can be used to leverage higher growth now. And if you're okay with how long it takes to pay it back, that can be useful. Just do the math on it. I think it's the really, really, really important thing. Do the math, be aware of what it translates to in terms of a monthly payment and what overall portion that's going to represent of your entire monthly expenses and uh, how much you can handle that. Be realistic about this. Also, if you want to learn more about money stuff, listenmoneymatters.com slash show is where you can find my other podcast, Listen Money Matters. And we have 350 episodes, I think. Yeah. About money. There's a lot of stuff about money. So, well, and we're definitely going to do more money episodes here. And I want to start moving into some money topics on the channel as well on YouTube. But I think for the most part, College of Folk Geek is focused on learning and, and productivity and those kind of topics for now. So if you really want to dive into money, Listen Money Matters is the uh, podcast for you. And now I know I teased it. We have oh, another. Yeah. The next we have day? another. We have another Jackson. I've been fainting for it. <laughs> and this person is named Your Majesty Jackson. Your Majesty. Your Majesty. Your Majesty. That is cool. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I like it. I like it. But that's great. So Your Majesty has an interesting question about choosing the major that he wants to study in college. So, and just to give uh, some backstory, this particular Your Majesty does not live in the U.S. 
So college is a little bit cheaper from where they're from. But their parents were saying, hey, you know, you should go look at engineering. So they looked at engineering programs. Electrical engineering kind of stood out. They were thinking about it. But Your Majesty is actually very passionate about photography. And he doesn't want to go into engineering. He really wants to go into photography instead and study photography. But he's not sure if that's a good idea. So basically, this question is, should I go for photography at university or should I go for engineering and try to pursue photography on the side? Mm-hmm. That is a difficult question. Yeah, I think it's a very difficult question. I actually, this is one that I did answer via email. It caught me at the right time. I think this really goes back to the whole idea that college is an investment. It's a business decision. And you have to think about the return you're going to get. And what kind of return could you get pursuing a different investment? So I don't know this for sure, but I have talked to people on this podcast and other podcasts who are successful photographers. Very good example over on Listen Money Matters, the episode we published this week as of the day we're recording right now, August 22nd, was with a lady named Laura Novak. And she runs a business that's successfully like a multi-million dollar photo studio franchising business. She basically started this photo shoot studio. I think it was called Little Nest in Philadelphia, I want to say. It was very successful. And then someone approached her about opening another location and it being a franchise of hers. So now she is a franchiser and she has franchisees opening up their own little nests that she has an ownership stake in in other cities. So that's why she's bringing in the big bucks. Before that, she was a professional photographer doing photo shoots for celebrities and at sports events and stuff. And before that, she was a hobbyist photographer in college. Did not study it. Nice. So my point here is that from what I know and from the people I've talked to, photography sounds like a pursuit where you could get to pro level. You could get to a level where you're making an income almost as easily not through university as you could if you formally studied it in college and paid for it. Yeah, the degree itself isn't necessarily any better than just a really good skill level. I mean, there's a great curriculum there, I'm sure. They're going to teach you a lot of stuff, but the amount of courses on photography, on Udemy, on lynda.com, Trey Ratcliffe, he's the guy who invented HDR photography, and his, his blog is, I think it's called Stuck in Customs. He has an HDR photography course that's fantastic. You could take one of these, you could get a photography book, you could get a course on Photoshop and Lightroom, and you could buy a camera, and you could just learn. And you could join photography critique groups online. You could post your work on Flickr, you could get in Facebook groups, all this kind of stuff. There's all these little things that are either free or a very low investment compared to how much college costs. And you could really ramp up as a great photographer, I think. Yeah, I literally have a photography class tonight. Yeah, that I'm going to. And that's not college. I mean, it's at the university. But how much did you pay for that photography class? Like 90 bucks, 90 bucks. Yeah. But the thing is, also, I came into college planning to be a French major and then switched to MIS because I thought to myself, will this French degree give me any more than skills in French to justify the loans? Mm -hmm. What if I just study MIS, use it to pay back the loans that I'm taking to immerse myself in this environment, study things I want? And in general, improve my economic position in the world, allowing me to study these things on the side. Yeah. And this is the tough thing because, you know, on one hand, you have certain people, even Cal Newport, who say, just pick an interest and and work as hard as you possibly can on that. 
And you could realistically point to an example in any major you want, even probably Latin, and you can find somebody who's successful. But you also have to balance that with the two questions of number one, what are the realistic career prospects like in this field and how much does that weigh against how much this costs? And number two, what degree of success could I achieve by studying this independently without paying university tuition? Yeah. With engineering, I would say go to university. I mean, you can learn a little bit of engineering on your own, but you're <laughs> not going to have CNC machines you. and you're not going to have electronics engineering laboratories. You're not going to have all this, you know, really expensive gear and this really highly specialized instruction in an engineering program, it's harder to access that kind of stuff with independent study. And that's a major that gives you incredible opportunities for finding jobs. Whereas photography, the pay is going to be lower on the most part. It, it It's a field where there's a lot of desire. Like people really want to enter this field and there's a low bar for entry. Yeah. So you either need to be really, really good or you need to rely on skills that are not related to photography, like building a personal brand and networking and getting your name out there. These are things that college has a tough time teaching you. I honestly believe that we can teach you that kind of stuff better than most universities can for free. Yeah. So that's the rub. And what I ended up telling your majesty was maybe think about it. Well, actually what I said, because I never like to give out, you know, straight up answers to people. What I said I would do if I were yeah. in that situation, if I were 18 again, and didn't have a whole lot of money is first I would research on the costs of college, but then I would probably end up going for engineering and also pursue photography as a side hobby. And I'd be doing it in my spare time and trying to get freelance contracts. Yeah, or I like probably classes or a minor. Yeah. There are plenty of options. Now the equation is different now because I'm 25. It's seven years later. I have gotten into my career. I now make enough money that I wouldn't have to take a ton of loans to go back to college. If I really wanted to go back to college for photography for some reason, it would be a different question because I'm no longer talking about several years of paying back debt. I'm talking about, okay, I can save up for a few months and plunk down for tuition. And really, be, really, you need to know, will this viably pay for my existence through the, the rest of my life if you're choosing a singular career field? Because you do need to eat basically forever. Yeah, I don't want to get too hung up on that, though, because a lot of people do switch. I mean, a crazy amount of people switch. That's true. But, but you this are... is the easiest time to get like college loans at the yeah. age where people expect it. It's like the easiest time to get your foot in the door that you can't literally afford yet without private loans and such, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is one of those questions where it's almost impossible for us to give a straight answer. You know, there are arguments on both sides. So if I straight up say only major in something realistic and then pursue your, your dreams as a side thing. Some people will be mad at me. And if I straight up say, uh, throw caution to the wind. If you really want to learn how to be an elf spotter, then who cares what it costs go for it? Well, obviously I'm irresponsible if I say that because that's stupid. The answer is somewhere in the middle. And this is the problem with trying to predict people's futures. You can't do it. So I can't reliably predict what's going to be the best choice for you. Which actually is fine, I think, because I was talking to Laura Novak about this on that podcast I just mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, or in the, I guess in the last question. We were talking about 
this idea that you're not going to a specific destination in your future. And it's not a matter of you're going to get there faster making choice A versus choice B. You don't know where you're going to end up. Uh, The example I gave in that episode was that I went to a conference called World Domination Summit a few years ago. And when I was there, I met this guy named Chase Reeves. Uh, I'm still good friends with him. He runs the Fizzle Show. And what he said to me is, hey, this is Thomas Frank. This guy's going to be the next big web designer. He's going to be like the next dude building all the crazy WordPress blog designs in the industry. Because at the time, Chase had done some really high level, awesome work. He built the, or he designed nerdfitness.com. He designed smartpassiveincome.com, a couple of the big ones. And I took a huge amount of inspiration from him when I designed the new college info design. So he said that. I never pursued web design. I kept at it with College Info Geek, eventually started making videos later on that year, and now here I am. So I can say to myself, man, I'm so glad I never did web design because I'm so happy with where I am right now. I really made it. But had I taken his advice, or I guess not advice, but had I, you know, had I gotten inspiration from what he said and then went and tried to find web design clients, I very well might be saying the exact same thing. Man, I'm so happy I listened to Chase's advice. I have this awesome web design business now. Never would have gotten here if I wouldn't have done that. And it all worked out. Yeah. I don't think there's one specific destination you're going to. I don't even think there's one specific career field or pursuit for you. I think it is a process of working and figuring out what you like, what you don't like, what works for you, adapting, choosing things, and reacting and having the attitude that you're going to be happy with what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only part that makes this even really any harder than deciding like a hobby or an interest is the fact that you have to decide which one's worth basically taking my limited amount of possible government loans maybe Mm -hmm. to get that first degree. Because after that, if you do go back, it's not going to be easy. I think there are limits on the federal loans, I know, at least in America, where they're like, we're not going to just send you back for infinite undergraduate degrees. That doesn't make sense. But outside of the financial concerns, like who knows? Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, your, your interests have changed yeah. quite frequently. You started out with linguistics and French, and then you moved to MIS. Yeah. And most MIS people do not end up in programming, but you ended up in essentially a programming job. Yeah. And first. I'm doing photography on the side, and I really like mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And now, to do with anything, really. Now, maybe half your time is web development, but now you're doing content development and podcasting. I don't mean, yeah. could you have predicted five years ago that you would have been doing that? Yeah, it seems like I really used my degree path as mm-hmm. sort of a backup plan to justify financially the loans I was taking to give me cool experiences. Yeah. But that's, maybe that's weird. I don't know. It, but looking back, it seems that that's really what I did was just made MIS a suitable backup plan as mm-hmm. the college experience was really important. Now, I don't want to sugarcoat this. If you do choose to take this route where you maybe take the quote unquote safer university path and you find the job and then you try to kind of use that to fund your side hustle it's going to be tough we've got friends who come home from their jobs and they're like i'm just too tired from work all i want to do is relax i don't want to work on the side thing yeah or it turns out i hated this career path or they hate doing it yeah so it's there's never going to be a way that you can guarantee ultimate happiness right away it's going to be hard and you may have to work extra hours and burn the candle at both ends a little bit. But 
I also just don't want to say like everything's going to be happy hunky dory if you just go yeah, for just blindly follow your take passion a bunch of loans and for it. hope it works out. Yeah, it is a business decision. It's an investment. Know. There must be a return. Otherwise, you get caught in a debt cycle. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> money, uh, money question. Yeah, hard. So let's let's move on to the next one. Yeah. Uh, and, who do we got? Who do we got? Moxie Crime Fighter. That's amazing. That's a good one. That's you know like what? Superhero. Pen Gillette, That's actually a pretty. That's a pretty cool name. I mean, it's still dumb. You got Moxie, kid. But Moxie I Crime Fighter. I like that word. Like that's the coolest dumb baby name I've heard. So, Moxie Crime Fighter wants to know. I want to build my own personal brand like you, but I'm not Aww. sure which niche to choose. Niche, niche. I don't know. Uh, I love dancing, anime, manga, video games, and reading, but I don't know enough to bring value to others on those topics alone. So mm-hmm. how do you choose a niche to brand yourself in? All right. My recommendation is the same recommendation that you gave me for these resource pages we've been building. Agile. And what uh, Agile yep. means... Actually, wait, you, you're a software developer of sorts. What does Agile mean? Well, I'll probably butcher what the schools will tell you or something, but essentially do what you can get done now and don't freak out about making the perfect product. Spend 10 spend 10 months planning out, okay, what niche am I going to choose? When you could just start something right now and in two months be like, actually, I didn't like that one. Let's try the next one. Mm-hmm. You would know more in two or three months than you would in 10 months of trying to plan out the perfect niche to choose. You don't really know until you try stuff. Yeah. And in terms of our resource pages that we've been working on, you know, we have all these features we want on those pages that aren't there yet, but we decided to basically establish a minimum viable product. What is what will be useful if it is live? Okay. Build that. We'll get it out. People can use it. And then we can add on new features as we go on. Yeah, because otherwise you, you wouldn't know? be getting those pages for like three years. Exactly. Why we just add nonsense to it. Yeah, it wouldn't work. And that's the story of College Info Geek. If I would have one day in 2010, back when I started it, thought, I really want to have this YouTube channel, podcast, blog, and book, and speaking engagements, and all this stuff. That sounds overwhelming. It would have never happened. That would have been a lot of planning. It would have been overwhelming Mm -hmm. and stressful. You probably would have scared yourself out of doing it, honestly. I think so. And, you know, on a similar note, I wasn't thinking to myself, man, I want to become the next big thing in the college and personal development space. Not at all. It was, there was this other blog that was for college students. It was like the life hacker of college. And they put out a post saying they wanted new writers. So I applied, not because I was going to build a personal brand around that topic, but I thought, hey, I like this blog. I'm a fan of it. And if I have a writing position, that's something I can put in a resume that's going to get me, you know, step by step. That's going to get me the next thing that might just be the thing that pushes me over the edge to being like the candidate that uh, a company hires for an internship over someone else. So I applied, they rejected me. I didn't take no for an answer. I went and made my own blog and it was very casual. It probably took me two or three years to get to the point where I was like, okay, this is my personal brand. I'm not going for IT. I'm not going for web development. I'm going straight up for this, but it was two or three years of consistent work and putting in time and developing the interest through that work. So, and I think this is how everyone starts, right? Yeah. Marquez Brownlee, MKBHD on Twitter or on YouTube has over 3 million subscribers, I think at this point. And he's like one of the biggest tech reviewers. He started as just this 
15-year-old kid in his parents' house reviewing a mouse on YouTube. Did he think, man, I'm going to have the ultimate tech review channel? I think he just wanted to make a mouse review. Yeah. You got to start small. So if you're really interested in anime or video games or something, just start making stuff on it. And you know what? If you're not an expert, if you're not, you know, IGN level or something, you you don't know as much as Notch, that doesn't matter because if you know more than somebody else, you have something you can share with them. Yeah. And if you have just like the lowest, barest minimum amount of desire to do any research, within half an hour, you can know more. I'll tell you guys a secret. Uh, you go look at my channel. I didn't know all the scientific studies behind space repetition. I didn't know all the science behind flashcards. I didn't know how to wake up early and make it a habit, all that stuff. Like I had little tidbits maybe from my own experiences, but when I want to make a video for you guys or half the time that we want to make a podcast, we sit down and do research. Yeah. That stress one, that wasn't off the top of our heads at all. No, we had we a six do the page outline. Yeah. We and, were digging through studies thing, and all kinds of stuff. How do you become an expert at something if not by doing it? Mm -hmm. It's not like all these YouTube videos you got up on your screen right now. It's not like you thought to yourself, you know, I'm an expert in everything. I should make <laughs> videos on them. You made videos on things one at a time. Mm -hmm. One at a time. Got to know a little bit more about the next thing. That's the only way to progress. You can't just start out as an expert. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work at all. So... Just do something. Don't worry about exactly what your personal brand is going to be right now. Just worry about, can I make something that I'm going to enjoy that's going to create value for somebody else? Especially if you want to do it like me. You know, I think personal branding can be a little bit more deliberate when you're thinking about it in a career sense. Like, I really want to be a web developer. How do I do that? I build websites. I build a kick-ass personal website with a portfolio on there. I have all my, you know, networking stuff down pat. I'm doing freelance stuff, all that kind of, you know, thing. Yeah. There's a better path there. But if you want to be like what we're doing, where we have, you know, a content business where we're making videos and podcasts and stuff, it's much more fluffy in the beginning. You just start writing on what you think is cool and you maybe try a few things. And if you get you get like a nibble, right? You get somebody who's like, yeah, awesome post. It was, that was really cool. That's some validation. And yeah. from there, you can just start adding more. If you're really interested in this kind of stuff, I've got a post on the College of Elite blog. It's actually the longest post I ever wrote, and it is the com the comprehensive step-by-step -step guide to building a blog. And it's got a tutorial on setting up WordPress and all that kind of stuff. That's already in my personal website guide, but most of that entire guide is how to develop content ideas, how to market your blog, advanced things like analytics, all that kind of stuff. Basically just me brain dumping everything I knew a couple of years ago. So you could read through that, and then there's a site called Fizzle. You can find it at fizzle.co, and they have a free trial where you can get in for free for five weeks, and you could watch all of their courses, and they're like the lynda.com for doing the kind of work I do. So yeah. I think it's fizzle.co slash try five, and I'm not sponsored or anything to say that. I think they will get they're money. Just, they're just cool guys. <laughs> I just like them. Their podcast is I'm friends great. with them, but... Uh, I used to be a Fizzle member myself. I went through a couple of their courses. I found their community actually more helpful than the courses themselves, but that's because I came in with a lot of knowledge and I'm a very, I'm a very like learn by doing kind of person, but I know other people are much more into courses and they like to watch things be done, you know, step by step through a curriculum. And if that's you, Fizzle's the way to go. Uh, if it's not you, then doing the work is the way to go. 
well doing the work is probably the way to go no matter what but yeah augmenting or not augmenting that is the choice to be made here so hopefully that helped put things in perspective moxie all right now i'm seeing a, i'm seeing a bonus question here. there was a bonus yeah, question the bonus question from though well so this came this was the like the last question this was tacked on oh I, and i copied okay. it straight from the email so i guess we'll do the bonus question their bonus question is what do you use to play ddr because all they have is a wii and a wii u and they can't find the complete set Ooh. so lucky for us our university which is still half an hour away, still has their old DDR Extreme machine. So <laughs> that is where I would prefer to go 100% of the time. And even luckier, I did research this. When we moved to Denver, it won't be close to where we want to be, but maybe 25 minutes away, there's a place that has a DDR machine. If you or can it might be a pump machine or something. Support them. We need to yes. keep them alive. So if there is somewhere with a DDR machine, we go, need to, go support those businesses. They're great. Yeah, we really need arcades. I want them back. Um, I can give a shout out to, oh my gosh, what is the guy's name? Um, there's this dude out of Tennessee and he makes, oh, it's, there it is. He makes not metal dance pads, but they are, Hard dance pads are made mainly out of wood. And he's just a dude out of his house in Tennessee, but he makes the best pads on the market right now because DDR is unfortunately kind of a dead thing. But for the like six people out there who still play it and more power to you, keep playing it. Keep the dream alive. Yeah. Uh, he sells them. They're like $350 a piece, which is a lot cheaper than paying $10,000 for an arcade machine. I may end up buying them at some point. I just need to make sure I don't live on a place where stomping on the ground will destroy the neighbor's sanity, Yeah, which may end up happening. So I'm basically holding off on that. But right now I just have one of those foam pads that has like the puzzle piece foam inserts. And then I own every DDR game for the PS2. Yeah, and All those, of them. those probably aren't that expensive, I imagine, unless they're rare. They're, no, they're so cheap. They don't seem like the kind of game to become rare. Yeah, so. and you can pick up a PS2 for 30 bucks now, I think probably yeah so ps2 is the way to go for ddr because there are seven or eight ddr games and then there's pump it up exceed and then there's in the groove and then if you really want there's that other really dumb dance game yeah but like the wii is important because you can you can dance with like waluigi probably that's true but ddr mario mix i think was only for the GameCube. was it i never had it so i, don't, I just want to dance with waluigi is that also so much to ask well you could but like the difficulty level does not go very high in that game. I don't so care. if you want to be MLG pro like me, you got to get the PS2 or you can get Step Mania for the P or the PC. But then you have to find your own song files and good luck. Yeah. For those. I'm not sure where they are anymore. <laughs> so I think that's all we have for this episode, guys. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find the show notes over at CIGpodcast.com. Find the episode 122 link on that page. And you'll find links to all the books, resources, apps, and other cool stuff we mentioned in this episode. You also find a link to support the show. And you can do that by writing a quick rating and review on iTunes. If you do that, that really helps to bump the show up the rankings. And we really, really appreciate it. So thank you if you take like five minutes to do that. Massively appreciate it. And beyond that, that's all we have for this episode. So thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you in next week's episode. Stay cute.